Introducing Mortgage Matters. He has no idea how bad it is out there. He has no idea. A show dedicated to helping you navigate a challenging and ever-changing financial and real estate landscape. The economy continues to face numerous difficulties. Now, your hosts, Dan Podesto and Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. The fact that you're being called upon to help clean up Wall Street's mess is an outrage. Broadcasting outrage. live from the KVEC studios in San Luis Obispo. What economy are you talking about? Talking it's about, time talking for about. Mortgage Matters. Good morning, everybody. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. Got a correction once again to the opening tagline. Uh, Dan is not in the studio today. Uh, in his place, we brought in Will Barnaby. Good morning. Morning, Will. Thanks much for coming in. Got the. Uh, it's always nice to get a little fresh energy in here. You know what I mean. <laughs> Little different, differenting viewpoints. I, I like it because Will's one of the people to actually talk and give me a chance to to not talk and collect my thoughts. You know, mm. <laughs> mm. An, an appropriate nonverbal response. I don't think you need time to collect your thoughts, Jason. I think you can just roll right, right through, right to it, run right through it, huh? Yeah. But how about this weather? We had really good rain coming when we were coming down the grade right now. It's it's oh, nice. it's so great. Things are looking green. That's oh, beautiful. Mm. I'm just picturing our reservoirs filling up, if mm. only a little bit. Yeah, I drove home from here yesterday on the back roads, and just to look out and see the hills turning green already is awesome. Yeah, yeah, cool. really cool. In fact, I mean, at, at my house, we've had irrigation turned off for months, you know, in an effort to conserve water. And mm. this is the time of year when you're not supposed to have to water your lawn and stuff, yeah. right? Um, it's nice to see that it's like growing. I think I'm gonna have to mow the lawn, man. <laughs> Might it's, have to bust out the mower. <laughs> it's Jason, green and Jason, you got two boys. Yeah. You know, oh, they're they good. Can start learning how to use that lawnmower. They're, they may not want me to tell you that, but they're great little lawnmowers <laughs> for sure. It's the having them pick up all the piles of leaves that causes me all the strife. Okay. Uh, but you know, I, I do the dad thing. I got the. I run the blower, you know. You run the blower? Sure. You know, all you got to do is get one of those little lawn tractors, and they'll be begging you to do it. Yeah, that that seems like it'd be overkill at my house, though. We don't have quite <laughs> quite enough to run that whole trip. Besides, no Jason would want to run that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no longer works with the 16-year-old, but the 9-year-old, she wants to jump on that thing pretty often. So I'm thrilled that we have uh, some rain. It, it's definitely nice. It's a good thing. I've been joking lately, though, like, oh, I'm tired of this rain. I wish it would stop. And people look at you and go, what? <laughs> Just kidding. On one of the um, – so fishreportsnot.net is a website um, run by Port San Luis, and it's kind of a public forum that – well, you can be a member of it to, to be able to read and do everything on there. But one of the really interesting things I saw in here is that they're um, – predicting an El Nino for the um, late this summer. Nice. So it sounds like if that proves to be true, maybe we'll make up for all the missing water. I sure hope so. All at once. Do you I guys sure. get Do you guys get John Lindsay's uh, daily email? Yeah, we do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And actually, John Lindsay's on our um, morning show, actually, with King Harris. And then um, if you go to the website at 920kbc.com, not only can you find out more about the Mortgage Matters show, but you can also find out about um, current weather conditions. Yeah. Well, and if you, I mean, I've been getting John Lindsay's email for years. Um, 
mainly because of the we started I started really tracking it because of fishing does such a good job predicting the weather and then gives a, a sea and swell forecast as well as the weather. Mm -hmm. I know there's a lot of people that look into it, but what a cool resource. It's it's really a neat thing and it gives a lot of the the rain totals and stuff like that too. Um, yeah. So check out the the John Lindsay uh, sign up for the email if you want to get it. I, I I really enjoy getting it. I think most most people uh, would enjoy, even if you don't like all of the technical stuff. It's cool to see the the weather in that format. Plus, John is just a nice guy, and he puts things into a language that everybody understands. You're right. Yeah. Hmm. So I'll have to check it out. Yeah, do it. I'll, I'll forward you the email, and then you can just sign up. Yeah. Have you seen the pictures of uh, San Antonio? Or not Lake, um, yeah, Lake San Antonio, right? The one next to Nacimiento? Yeah. Seen those lately? No. There's, it's, it's Creek. It'd well, be really interesting. It'd be nice to get some rain. We, Even through the summer would be nice. We went and camped up there this summer. And last year when we camped up there, um, friends, everybody brought their boats. And we had like a fun little camping boat thing. The lake was definitely down. Yeah. Um, this summer, so literally like less than 12 months later, I drove my truck to a place where we drove boats. Before. Yeah. And it was, it turned into a puddle down at one end. Yeah. And was just so dry. It was pretty alarming, actually. Well, it's going to start to affect a lot of different things. Like I heard the other day mm. on the news, and I didn't catch it all, and I don't think they really gave the full story, but... In the North County, they're, uh, for new construction, they're making the builders, I believe, or somebody involved has to pay to retrofit eight existing homes that were built prior to 1985 in order to build a new house. And we definitely need new construction. So it's going to start to affect the housing market. Makes it more else. expensive, right? Well, yeah. I, I'm not sure who's going to pay for it. I know the people that own the older homes that are being retrofitted aren't. Um, yeah, but it's a program through the city, you know, and it's I know that it's tied to the house has to be in the water basin, which isn't all of Paso, but it's it's a good chunk of it. I know that. So if you plan to build there and you're, you know, a builder, they have to retrofit old old homes in order to make it happen. When uh, in, in Big Bear, which is San Bernardino County, where I grew up, there is a uh, <clears throat> a rule that, <clears throat> excuse me, when a house is sold you have to prove that you have low flow toilets and done some of like the water retrofit stuff to make the house a yeah. little bit more water efficient. And that's really, I mean, it, I feel like it's a decent program because it's kind of required in escrow that yeah. it, it gets brought up to speed. Um, and it's not terribly expensive to do that, but the trouble is that only impacts the houses that are like freshly sold. Yeah, so if, if people aren't ones. selling their houses, you know, I imagine there's still some toilets laying around that are instead of the the 1.3 gallon flush are still doing the six gallon flush. <laughs> I'm wondering too, what would be the um, possibility of some sort of like um, incentive to install those like cisterns that collect the water and then you can walk the water the property with it, maybe in new construction and, and older homes. Is about a, a gray water tank that yeah, can be used to water? That we can hold the water. There's a lot of, there's a lot of that stuff that you can do um, yourself, you know, get, have your house built to work in that way, or even 
you know, add some things in to make it function that way. However, none of that's required. Well, I'm wondering, would that be maybe a good thing to have well, that sort of stuff required? It would, it would lower your water bill, right? And even if you were on a well, you wouldn't be paying to pump that much water. It would be a good idea. to Gray water you could use to water your lawn. You wouldn't want to be a kid from the 70s and pick up the hose, I wouldn't think, and drink that. But No, yeah. but... You know, and well, and at the same time, then, you know, I whenever this conversation starts, it always makes me think that the the next step then is going to be people being a bit more conscientious about the detergents and soaps that they're using in your water. If you're if you're catching gray water. Yeah, that would happen too. you know, a lot of the chemicals that are in the soaps and stuff that we're using will kill grass or vegetation if it's just dumped out there. But, you know, so. And some, that being said, it's kind of a good idea to get us going on that track because if those chemicals are damaging to things that we can see up on the topsoil, what are they doing to everything else? Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. I know some of the detergents now, though, don't have that effect. Some of the cleaner detergents. Yeah. So later in the second hour of the show, we're going to be joined by uh, Evan Moffat from Katie Janney Landscaping. And, and some of the things that we intend to talk about with him is some of the, the drought stuff and landscaping things, that kind of stuff. So yeah, that'll be very interesting. That'll be that'll be timely discussion. Um, so for this first hour, see if I can get my uh, my notes up and running here. I got the slow computer syndrome this morning. Um there was a, a little bit of other stuff that, that's definitely worth talking about today. Um, and I want to I want to kick this this session off with uh, a little clipping that I have here from um, kind of recapping what Federal Reserve Chair Janet Yellen. I got to slow down now when I when I spout that off because it's been years now of Bernanke and he's officially uh, out. So now we have Janet Yellen as the new fed chair and she's already had a couple of um i it's it's almost like a testimony when they go before like um the committee and and sit down and are are questioned about what's going on within the, with the economy and i've been so tell me tell me what what your thoughts are about this will cuz we don't talk about this too terribly much um my general feeling is that we were the economy, housing, jobs, consumer spending, manufacturing, so much stuff on the upswing um, in the first half of 2013. And then we hit this kind of cold spot. And it's hard for me to believe that it's related to much more than the tapering that occurred. It seemed like that really did. Um, the pop in interest rates seemed to have changed the morale of people. Mm-hmm. And since then um things have been cooling i mean we've the the last few months of jobs reports have been absolutely terrible there's declines in what feels like a lot of sectors of the economy um is it just me i mean i i wonder because i feel like i'm i'm kind of looking for that too because i thought that the tapering was too soon the way that it rolled out so Maybe I'm trying to prove my point by seeing only the negative stuff. What's what's the the feeling that you have um, in the last? You know, they they announced tapering in June of last year, so it's been now we're going on nine months. Yeah, since since 
a correction occurred of some sort. Got it. You know, I, I'm I'm not really sure. I think a lot of it is perspective. You know, they they did slow down the amount that they were purchasing, but they did remain. You know, they're still buying mortgage-backed securities and other types of securities as well, but. They only slowed it down. They didn't stop it, and they didn't slow it down by that much. But the market response was, I don't know, much larger than the taper that was actually put into place. And it seems a lot of that is just people reacting to attitude. And you see it across all kinds of markets. I mean, there's plenty of companies that are at all-time highs at the moment, and their stocks are selling, but their value isn't there. Um, but it's all perspective, you know, and, and we seem to be rolling into a period of time where people react to information um, at a much higher level than maybe that information warrants. Sure. And, and I think that the taper has, you know, that definitely had an effect and it was the start, you know, and then after that we had a bad holiday season, retail numbers were poor. And then after that we had horrible weather on the east coast where it shut down a lot of activity for a long period of time now granted some of that demand may come back and that's obviously a point that people argue on the television all the time you know and there's there's some debatable information there but it was like one thing after another but the taper definitely started it and i think the response to the taper was a little overblown um yeah yeah, i think so i mean don't get me wrong it's definitely going to have an effect and as they taper the rates have to come up in order to make those securities viable, you know, to sell to, you know, the me, you, whomever else in the public is going to want a return for our money. So the rates have to go up in order to provide that return, you know, and if the Fed's not the one buying it, then somebody else has to step in and there has to be some sort of incentive for those, those to sell. But that being said, you know, I don't know that the I don't know that the taper that they put into place got an appropriate response. I think it was a little bit more of a response. Well, I think the, I think the market anticipates it for so long, knowing that it comes and when it comes, what does it mean? And so they cook in some of that fear, that uncertainty, begin to worry. Nobody wants to get caught. And, and when we're talking about tapering and stuff, I mean, you got to think in terms of the people that are controlling tens and hundreds of billions of dollars in their funds yeah. are concerned that they may have a position in the market where they're sabotaged. And so because of that, begin investing in in certain ways that begin to, to drive those yields up. So we, we talk about this on the show a lot for the sake of people that aren't totally tuned into this, that for the mortgage rates, um, the 10-year treasury is called the benchmark yield. And uh, as it was explained to me years ago, the reason being most mortgages are a 30-year loan remain on the books for an average of 10 years. So it's it's kind of the more predictable term um, for that asset versus considering it going to its 30-year maturity. I mean, how many people do you know got a 30-year loan and then just paid that very loan the whole time? Because remember... If I know you, none. Yeah, it's very uncommon. Yeah. Um, in fact, uh, I I did have a client a few years ago where I saw a loan was taken out in like 1978, and then was this was in like 2007, and there was like a year to go on this 30 year loan, and I was just tripping. I I've ne- I'd never saw that before. Usually, people 
pay them down faster if that's just their goal, or they'll refinance into shorter term loans along the way. Oh, yeah. but, so bottom line here is that 10 years is about the amount of time that these things typically perform for. You could count on them in, in the facility that you've bought it for. You expect it to work for about 10 years. So that yield then of the 10-year treasury has a correlation to where the 30-year fix is at least historically, it kind of shares a little bit of a relationship. Well, and, yeah, plus it's actually published. They don't publish right. the sale of mortgage-backed That's securities. That's right, so. and part of it is, yeah, they don't publish the sale of the mortgage-backed securities, and there are definitely indices that track the rate of mortgages like mm -hmm. as they're sort of averaged between companies, but our company is a prime example of the fact that, that interest rates can vary quite a bit from what's published publicly. When we see bankrate.com say that the 30-year fix is four and a half, and we laugh because ours is four and a quarter, um, it, it's like it's kind of a guide, but it's not it's not the rates not published in a way that you could expect to get that rate. Not all lenders are equal. Yeah, and why do you, why do you think that it's usually higher? I mean, you're taking um, a national average for a few reasons. Yeah, and I think part of it is that na nationally, that's the deal. Um, yeah. In other parts of the country where the average loan amount is less, and I know this because we used to build rate sheets for different states, you would have to put in ads to increase the interest rate or cost to get that interest rate in those states where the loan amounts are a lot less. That's where uh, I was going. The idea is is that over time, you if you're loaning out these smaller amounts of money, see whether you have a loan for $50,000 or a loan for $400,000, you it requires the same amount of effort to originate that loan, to put that loan through the system, to service that loan and to deal with servicing issues and all that thing throughout. So that being said, a $50,000 loan versus a $400,000 loan, you want to do all $400,000 loans, right? You're yeah. going to make more interest. You're going to do less transactions. You have less um, eggs in the basket, so to speak, but it, it's a little bit more profitable. Yeah. yeah. So on the smaller loans, they, they charge a little bit to make it a little bit more expensive. That That is why those national numbers are typically a little bit higher. And then the other part of it too is that I don't know who's paying who, but the people that they are calling for these rates at like Quicken and some of the bigger companies aren't the companies that are particularly good at doing the really low rate, low cost loans. That's that's generally left to the more boutique -y companies yeah. uh, like ours. So I bring up this 10 year yield because um, on treasury.gov, they have a little resource center where you can pull up historical data and have a look at um, what happened um, in this case, what I'm after here is looking at what happened to that 10-year yield over the course of 2013. Oh, gotcha. we're gonna, I'm going to tell you what Janet Yellen ended up saying this last week um, in terms of how the economy looks and, and tie this into tapering and, and where we stand today. So as I, as I mark out here, um, January 1st of 2013, okay? Okay. I would quiz you, but I don't want to just stump you on live radio, so I'm just going to lay it out. The 10-year yield on January 2nd was 1.86. Remember yes. those days? Uh, that was a good day. So then you take that historical relationship between the 30-year fix and the 10-year yield. It's always been somewhere around about 1.5%, sometimes 1 and 3 quarters. We've seen it as high as 2. But that would at 1.5, that would suggest that interest rates at that time would be about 3 and a quarter. And that's about right, isn't it? It's right where they were. 
So now we're going to like skip forward um, through the days and hop on down um, to May, okay? And May being where um, the feds began this idea that tapering was going to happen. There was a lot of positive economic data, the kind of concern that houses were appreciating too rapidly. There's a, a feeding frenzy over housing. Um, that that 10-year yield gets going, you know, finds its way to 2% in March, which is still reasonably low. That would suggest a 30-year fix belongs at about 3.5%. Um, you get, um, let's see here, in June, when tapering's really announced, that 10-year yield goes up to 26 so that's, mm -hmm. that's some pretty big growth where for the first part of the month, it only moves by, you know, or the first part of the year, it only moves by th two or three tenths. And then suddenly it moves by six tenths over the course of the month. And you can tie this back to the news that came out. So throughout the end of the year, you know, we know in now looking back that tapering actually began in December and they furthered the taper in January and on December 31st of 2013, that 10-year yield closed out at 3.04%. At, uh, yeah. That's big growth over the, the course of the whole year. That puts a lot of pressure on interest rates to go upward. Um, 3.04, add that same margin of 1.5, that relationship to the 30-year, to the and you're at a 4.5 interest rate. And... At the end of the year, four and a half is right about where interest rates were. So it shared that relationship within reason to where it generally is. Good indication of what happened in the interest rate market. Um, I bring this up, like I said, because I kind of want to tie it together to some of this economic conversation we're going to have this morning. But I want to point out that after two months of tapering, the 10-year closed yesterday's session at 2.65. Yes. 2.65 marks a rate less than um, what it was at the end of the year when we were in the thick of the announcing and beginning of tapering. Yes. Um, so it's fascinating to me. You would think that, you know, the feds have been buying $85 billion. In December, they took $10 billion out of that, dropped it to 75 In January, they took another $10 billion out and dropped that down to 65 billion, 5 yes. billion out of each of the treasuries and the mortgage-backed securities. Sucking that money out yes. would generally drive interest rates up. It's a it's a removal of demand. It's yes. it's like if you're a hot dog vendor and you have a line of people to buy hot dogs, the guy that buys $85 billion a month where the hot dogs suddenly says I'm going to drop by $10 billion. So generally, you would expect that in, in an economic setting like this, that it gets made up by increased yields, kind of passing the price through the consumer. It's all This stuff is all based on supply and demand. Well, yeah, you, you have to attract different people, and you'd have to pay a higher yield. So what happened over the last few months that this yield has fallen? Well, I mean, it's it's. I would say that it's even... 
I get where you're going, and it's even a, a bigger anomaly than that because the stock market is also going up at the moment, right? which generally is not something that's going to happen. Usually when people feel really, really good about things, they're buying equities. And when people feel like the you know the end's coming soon, they're, they're out buying securities. Right. And at the moment, you have a weird situation where they're both in this country – doing well the yields are going down because there's demand for securities that's right stock market's also going up because there's demand for equities which well, leads me to believe that people from outside this country are looking at us and they're saying and you that's, know, maybe the rest of the world's not so strong that's kind of the common conclusion too is that a lot of the firms that do make up the dow um and that's sort of the the poster child for how we call the stock market every day yes. is that it is based a lot in international business and therefore isn't totally dependent to what's happening on American soil like mortgage-backed securities are, right? I mean, that's yes. that's just straight-up American um, aggregate of loans. I mean, and and so anyway, um, yeah, I, I want to take this as kind of a, a, a jumping-off point to talk about kind of put into context Janet Yellen's statement and then through that we'll wade through some of this economic data. We learned this week about consumer confidence, consumer sentiment, there was some producer price index, new home sales, existing home sales, the Case-Shiller home price index, a lot of these things um, that are pointing to the strength of the economy this month Mm -hmm. um, according to the data that we're seeing, tying this back to what's happening in the bigger picture and how does our new Fed chair see us going forward? That's where we're headed with this. We're going to go ahead and take a commercial break. It's the middle of the hour. When we get back, uh, we'll have more Mortgage Matters. Don't go anywhere. Keep it locked to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. To ask a question, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. We'll be back in just a few minutes. What a state of generosity, look what my agent got for me, just by switching to State Farm. A few hundred unexpected bucks, I couldn't ask for more, but now I've got to figure out what I should use it for. A new bike would be radical, but maybe something practical, like a pet baboon with one robotic arm. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you could save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley & Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley & Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley & Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending, Central Coast Lending. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. We're the 
Central Coast. Central Coast Landing. Central Coast Landing is locally owned and operated with locations in Paso, Morro Bay, San Obispo, and Arroyo Grande. Central Coast Lending, the mortgage experts. Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, here's Dan and Jason. Raindrops are falling on my head And just like the guy whose feet are too big for his bed Nothing seems to fit those all right, everybody, welcome back. Timely song again, Jim. Is that the first time you use that today? It is, actually. All right, all right. Yeah, yeah if you guys are out milling around today in this weather, be safe. Take a little extra space between you and that car in front of you. When I was coming down the grade this morning, there was a few pretty decent puddles that people were slowing down to, like, yeah. 45 miles an hour to get through, and... um so be safe. It's a it's a scary thing. I know there was already some weather related accidents this week claiming some lives. So yeah, that's not good. Slow yeah. down and be careful. So I'm joined by Will Barnaby. He's uh, one of our senior loan officers, and and I, I mean senior in rank, not in age. Um, though he might be one of the the older on the staff here. It, it's it's. You really don't have to go there. You've grown. You you carry so much knowledge and life experience with you when you're (laughs) that 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 ripe old age. So um, it's a good thing. Well, I guess I guess just trim the ear hair, maybe. Yeah, you know. So spent a little bit of time in the first segment talking about um, how things have changed a little bit, and 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 it's an attempt to kind of put all of the data into context that we're going to talk about today. And um, so started this on talking about Janet Yellen, and she says that the Fed is mindful of weak data. That was kind of the the highlight of that. It's kind of like the summarizing statement. And I, I was actually, I felt myself a little bit relieved by that. Yeah? Yeah, because I wondered, you know, when, when they kind of surprised us, though it was talked about not everybody agreed that December was going to be the magic month for tapering. Yeah. The jobs report was weak. I mean, that was 74,000 jobs added. Um, the next month, I think 110 or something thousand added. And both were projecting like 80, 180 to 190,000 jobs to be added. And we fell short miserably. Um, all the data was pretty poor. All of it was. And, and in the face of that elected uh, had been saying we're not on a fixed course we're going to watch this closely um, make adjustments we as can needed. make adjustments as needed and as we see this data that just feels horrible um the feds started taking the money out and uh, you and know, the markets continued to go yeah, kind of a that. kind of a strange thing. So I wondered if they knew. Like I wondered, I wondered what the idea of the Fed was. If it is this concerning to them, does it feel like a blip? Are they really b- blaming it on bad weather? Um, and if if not, um, would they adapt their policy to to perhaps just freeze the tapering and kind of stay at this level for a while? 
or would they maybe would they go back would they announce that they're going back to 85 billion maybe they'd pass it and go to 100 billion to put another shot in the arm i i really wondered if in spite of saying hey we're not on a preset course we're going to be mindful and watching if they kind of ended up on a preset course because when you tapered um two times in a row in back-to-back -back meetings in light of some of the weakest data that we've seen in years i kind of started to think maybe they're either not paying attention or they've got another agenda i started to think that the data is no longer the driver well not just the driver i just don't know that it's as strong i mean you've got all of these bad things going on like obviously the unemployment numbers or the employment numbers themselves i mean those aren't something that's going to be affected by outside sources but as the markets continue to soar and they continue to taper and the bad news continues to pour in, you start to wonder whether or not the things that they're looking at, the data points that they're looking at, are broke in the current modern economy just because of other influences that are coming in. Again, I'm not trying to go back to that point, but from the outside. Yeah. So when you look at the data and you think, okay, well, these things should be happening and the opposite of those things are happening – um, I think that, you know, people need to be mindful or at least look at the fact that there can be influences outside sure. that are that are skewing those results. Well, yeah. And, and my my sense of it, too, was that the market was heating up and mm -hmm. maybe overheating, yeah. kind of going a little gangbusters. And so if if you're if you're the. Um, on the Federal Reserve Board and you're talking about these things, are you more concerned about overheating and having another overheated cycle that causes a more bubble. problems, a bubble, um, overvalued assets, all this kind of thing that, that has in recent history caused us some real problems? Do, is that perceived as more damaging and scary than um, – making an, a policy move that would slow things down a little bit. And knowing that your slowdown was going to feel like a shot across the bow to a lot of the market, could would it just be a blip before it corrects itself and then you get back to smooth sailing? That's the, that's the million-dollar question today. So this, this headline is that Yellen says the Fed is mindful of the weak data. That they're actually seeing it. They're they understand it. it. Okay. So um, she said that the data points to weaker than expected gains in consumer spending and job growth and that the Fed will be watching to see whether the slowdown proves to be only a blip caused by severe weather or a bigger kind of slowdown of the economy. Um, the And then, again, she sort of repeats the, the Fed's previous assurances that they're, they're watching – they're yeah. not on a predetermined course and that they will adjust what they need to do if there was significant change in the Fed's outlook. So when you when you kind of process that statement, really what they what they want you to hear is that yes, we see the headlines. Yes, we understand that things have slowed down and, and maybe even appear frightening as we see one month's data turn into two months, turn into three months, turn into a trend. We're well aware of what's going on and we're watching um, and basically say that um, they're going to keep interest rates low to encourage growth and kind of keep the economy a little bit tickled. Um, okay.
so they're watching they're mindful of the data so far we don't know what they're going to do next week by the way we're going to get february's employment report yeah and that is going to be very telling because december and january were outright miserable and um so are we going to add all those jobs like it's, it was February amazing and we have so many jobs now that it's like that is the shot in the arm and everybody takes a sigh of relief that, oh, hey, things thawed out a little bit. I'm I'm kind of concerned, though, because it felt cold and wet still in February. And if that's what's been the problem here, I don't think it thawed out enough to have significant job growth and positive outlook in the economy. And that would be three months in a row of a bad jobs report. So next week we'll catch up on exactly what happens with all of the uh, unemployment report stuff. Um, but that's certainly something to keep an eye out for. Um, so this week, the the data that we have to wade through, um, I was kind of start at the top. The first one is a, a couple of home price indexes, give an idea of what's going on. The first one is the S&P Case-Shiller Home Price Index. This now is for the month of December. Yes, that's a few months old. A few months old. There's a two-month lag on this report. kind of bothers me that there is. But that, that shows that the national home prices were up 11.3% for 2013. Uh, we've suggested here with, with data and perspective of, of uh, real estate agents too, that a lot of that growth came in the first half of the year and then it tapered off in the second half. Most everybody agrees that the housing climate has changed at least somewhat to the slower since December. Absolutely. So, so you kind of look at this metric and say, well, that's good. You're telling me what happened in December. December is not representative of what went down in February. We, we know that. So anyways, this just showing some decent appreciation, but it still causes you to kind of raise an eyebrow a little bit and see, um, and the, uh, the rate of appreciation is slowing. You can see that it's slowed. And um, so Case Schiller, kind of the takeaway here from this one is expect home prices to rise at a much slower, more moderate pace in 2014 than they did in 2013. You have to think that. There, there's conflicting influences going on. I mean, there's there's a lack of inventory. And generally with a lack of inventory, you think home prices are going to go up. Yep. Then on the other hand, you have raising rates and your affordability is dropping. And that would generally make you feel like the prices are going to go down. That so they got to soften a little bit to keep the buyers in the room. Yeah. So we, we have, again, just like the market and the unemployment numbers and all the data that's often conflicting lately, these two things are, are pulling and pushing on the same road. That's and, right. You know, we'll see where that ends up. But my thought is that it would continue to gradually go up. Consumer board of, uh, Board's Index of U.S. Consumer Confidence. That's a long title. Yeah. Um, the index declined less than expected. Hmm. But it declined. So people are a little bit less confident this month than they were in previous months. Not much. We expected they would be more disappointed. And I can kind of appreciate that on account of 
if you're in any part of the country where they're closing the highways and shutting down businesses and schools because it's just too dangerous to go around, that kind of makes you, I think, lose a little bit of confidence. And that's really what the, the expectation was, is that based on that, people are feeling uh, less than confident about the growth of the economy because not enough people are out participating in it. Um, the other uh, University of Michigan consumer confidence numbers, um, the number unexpectedly rises, suggesting that people are more... Um, more confident this month than last, uh, kind of a strange thing. Um, couple of, uh, other little pieces here, durable goods. Um, those, that's always kind of a volatile number because the durable goods can be pushed around quite a bit by big airplanes or machine orders that come in. Those things are, uh, just big enough that it can really skew the numbers. So if you if you look at that, um, the orders for long-lasting manufactured goods, excluding those things that make it volatile, like the transportation sector, um, unexpectedly rose last month. Really? Yeah. Um, which is a gauge of businesses' spending plans. I mean, it, it's a it's a look into the orders that companies are making to beef up infrastructure to be able to produce the goods and services that they bring to the economy. Um, so they're buying a lot of large equipment, essentially. Yeah. And um, that doesn't lead to making you believe that the economy is slowing. Um so they it rose 1.1%, which is the largest increase since last May, yeah. right before the taper talk began. So perhaps uh, people are feeling a little bit more confident that um, tapering kind of pushed the market around a little bit, made the end of the year feel a little bit different. But now we're a couple months into this year, and perhaps there's some reasons to have a little bit of confidence in there. Um, we, we do need to do a commercial break here. A couple more things that I wanted to show about, uh, talk about though, is fourth quarter GDP, um, had a, a preliminary reading, um, and now a revision. So we'll talk a little bit about that. And then also a couple housing in, um, numbers here, pending home sales, uh, new home sales and existing home sales. So we'll talk about that when we get back. Uh, let's do a real quick break and then we'll be back for more mortgage matters. Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason will be right back. Join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley & Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley & Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley & Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. 
Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543 Loan. Just call 543 Loan. Just call 543 Loan. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is locally owned and operated with locations in Paso, Morro Bay, San Obispo, and Arroyo Grande. Central Coast Lending, the mortgage experts. The state of denial is a drag and a trial. When I bought my cheap insurance, should have known this day would come. Now I've had an accident and I'm feeling quite alone. Called them at least 20 times, but they won't pick up the phone. Without personal service, my policy's kind of worthless. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. You're listening to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. If you missed any part of the show, log on to centralcoastlending.com for archived shows and more. Now, back to your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. guys welcome back it's just 10 to 11 so we got a brief little segment here before we get forced out for the top of the hour break we're going to be joined by evan moffitt we're going to spend about the first half hour of him being in here telling us about his certifications and um i, I don't even know what all the right words for this guy's got like uh knowledge of anything that has to do with um basically any kind of organism that might grow in your yard gotcha <laughs> I'm not going to have a lot to say about that. Sure you will. Oh, I kill grass. <laughs> the only person I know that planted sod and managed to make it die. Oh, no. I don't have the green thumb. Did you put the sod in yourself? Yeah, you know, I tried. See, that was probably your problem. And I took it out myself. <laughs> <laughs> the second go, I had someone else do it. We'll, we'll have Evan tell us why you were unsuccessful at that in a minute here. Okay. So I just want to hack through a few more of these numbers real quick. Um, pending... Home sales index is one um, that this is this one's kind of telling of what's to expect around the corner on account of a pending home is a home that was on the market now in contract not yet closed exactly uh, and so that index for January was very disappointing uh, it was estimated to have increased by two whole percent and that may not sound like a lot. Um, it increased by only 0.1%, essentially flat, meaning that there isn't really growth in the activity of people moving forward into new contracts. To put it into context a little bit, I don't know what normal is, but in 2000, uh, January of 2013, that um, index was uh, 11%. And I think it's important to point out that they compare January of one year to January of the next Yeah, year. because it's kind of seasonal, right? It really is. People don't like to show their homes over Thanksgiving and Christmas. They typically don't want to hold open houses when there's too many muddy, wet feet coming through. So they're that's taken into consideration. January is going to have different sales numbers than June. Oh, absolutely. And, and we, we know that. So, yeah, it is measured year over year. But kind of tying that back to where interest rates were last January, they were at three and a quarter. 
this January, uh, you know, we know from the the stuff here that they're closer to four and a half. So yeah. that amount of movement obviously causes a little bit less excitement. Um, January, or I'm sorry, 2013 felt like the year that uh, most people bought houses. There Everyone was, I know was buying a house. There was a lot of activity. Yeah. So it's cooled off just a little bit. Um, so that one was pretty disappointing to see that um, that number come out so weak. Uh, the other one here is new home sales. So these are homes that are newly constructed, never lived in before. Um, these are tracked by the Commerce Department. Um, for all obvious reasons, it's really important that um, we're building new homes and that they're being well-received in the market. Um, so it was expected to come out at minus a negative... 3.4%. Yes. It came out, um, ju sales jumped 9.6%. Yeah. So they give a little bit of seasonal adjustment to it. 468,000 units, the highest level since 2008. Hey, I... what happened to all that cold weather scapegoating that we were hearing about for the last two months? Well, we'll have to get back to the cold weather because I do think that you discount that out a little too much, though. I also think it's overblown in the media by a lot. But the home sales. I'm listening. The, the new construction stuff locally, which obviously is not a great perspective, but looking locally, there wasn't as much building going on in, you know, in 2012. There wasn't as many new homes that needed to be sold. There was a larger inventory of existing sure. homes. There was a shadow market going on with bank inventory. There was REO. There was all kinds of other types of properties. Homes weren't being built. So the fact that a year later, when there is a lack of other inventory, that new homes are actually selling and being built, I don't know that that's as positive as it sounds. Well, okay. I Noted. Mean, you get what I'm saying. In our, in our housing situation in the U.S., though, just to keep up with population growth as well as um, houses that are becoming economically obsolete, you know, that point by which it doesn't make sense anymore to, to maintain, remodel, or fix it, and it's time to scrape it and build a new one, yeah. just to keep everybody housed in this country, um, those numbers are sort of arguable, but it's somewhere around about 950,000 um, units of housing. Uh, looking back 2005, 2006, those yeah. numbers were north of 1.6 million. So we were building a crazy amount of homes. Um, and as home ownership was surging to all time highs and people could afford stuff based on the liar loans that they couldn't afford ever before, including today, um, it was kind of a feeding frenzy. So, um, and I do, I always put a lot of emphasis on the construction. I think it's because I grew up the son of a contractor. I know what it means when the economy is in a spot where you can put your work boots on, grab your tool bags and go bang nails for a day. Yeah. When you cannot do that because the, your local housing economy isn't supporting people bending nails, um, that's a problem. There's oh, a, a lot problem. of people that depend on construction. And when you go all the way back down to it, uh, not to beat the dead horse here, but it's the landscaping guys, it's the graders, the people that do the foundations, it's plumbers, electricians, it's roofers, um, it's title escrow, loan officers, realtors. It's 
companies like Home Depot, Caterpillar, you're talking, um, there's so much. Then it's a spider web. You got to buy connected. window dressings and flooring. I mean, it just it goes on and on and on and on. And given that the like basic needs of us here are like food and shelter, shelters right up there. And when we're not building any, it the pinch squeezes everybody. So, but you do understand what I'm saying that that the inventory that existed at that point would not be. As you compare it, yes. The, yeah, it, it would not be something that would make you think there was a whole lot of building going on. And, and the, now we're in a situation where there is, there's not as many existing the homes. The spokesman for the National Association of Realtors, by the way, is still saying that yeah. part of the problem in construction is that today, under the cost of what it takes to build, you still can't really build um, for what the existing inventory suggests, you know, the sales the price is. So... You, it kind of begs you um, two things here. Number yeah. one, um, it's got to become cheaper to build. Do you see taxes on you know paint and lumber and those kind of things falling? Do you see the actual cost of building materials falling? I don't think so. No, and permit costs have skyrocketed as yeah. well. And so it, with all the environmental things and then exactions you brought up earlier in the show about having to retrofit eight other houses to build this new house, yes. we're not making it any more affordable or competitive for builders to get out and build a home today. So... In order to find equilibrium here, what has to happen? Builders have to be able to make profit to build, and if they can't, they'll continue to just kind of chunk away like what's been happening, 400,000 houses a year being built. Um, the reality is uh, the rest of the housing inventory has to appreciate still. These existing homes have to be viewed as worth more money to where it comes into equilibrium that it's actually valued at what it would have cost to replace it to get in there and build a new home today still is viewed as more expensive than what the existing inventory sells for. No, absolutely. And that makes sense. But I think, again, in order, I don't think it's as bright of a point because the existing home sales have to be put into perspective when you're looking at the new the new construction sales this is well. fun this is fun to have somebody here on the show that's kind of a pessimist are you getting any of this jim i am not a pessimist i'm getting it he's not a pessimist but i mean i'm trying to sell you here that this metric is a a, a full glass and you're telling me that yeah, we're it's a half full we're glass. using the wrong glass because <laughs> the glass is from last year beat <laughs> Um, all right. And then lastly, this little piece here about uh, GDP. Um, GDP was expected to show a little bit slower growth. Um, the first announcement was 3.2%. That's been um, revised now to read at 2.5%. So we're already seeing um, fourth quarter GDP was also revised down to 2.4% at an annualized pace. It looks like things are slowing a little bit. So we'll keep good track of it. Um, there is there is a lot to follow here. And every week, as you know, you get another slice of it. Uh, we're going to go ahead and take the top of the hour break. When we get back. We'll be joined by Evan Moffat from Katie Janney Landscaping. And we'll have that to talk about. So stick with us for more Mortgage Matters. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 10 a.m. to noon. Your hosts, Dan and Jason, from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show. Facing foreclosure? Don't pay for a loan modification, or you may get scammed. Visit LoanScamAlert.org or call 1-888-995-HOPE to get free help from a HUD-approved counseling agency or to report a scam. 
All right, guys, welcome back to Mortgage Matters. Oh, I just looked up the clock right now. See, it's 11.05, 76 degrees in here. That feels too hot for like four dudes crammed into a 100-square-foot room. <laughs> if that, I think you're being generous there on that square footage. You think so? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. It's maybe. 150. You think, well, Evan's thinking it's 150. All right. I don't know. Oh, there's no way it's 150. I think it's about 100. <laughs> we'll pace it off in, yeah, we'll, at the we'll next break. We'll let you guys know. We'll have it all measured out. <laughs> it's 900 square feet. <laughs> but, so part of the little display here that has me um, sort of bewildered right now is that it's it says March 1st. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? How the heck is it already March? Yeah. So anyways, it's March 1st. You guys are listening to Mortgage Matters. Thanks for being with us. Um, during this second hour here of the show, we have Evan Moffat from Katie Janney Landscaping on the show with us. Um, no doubt you guys, I, I'm sure there are a lot of people around that have had contracts with these guys to, to be doing some of their landscaping needs. And um, otherwise, you've at least seen their trucks around, if not helicopters moving giant oaks and pretty crazy stuff like that. These guys are not the like, um, you know, a dude with a lawnmower and a truck kind of blow and go service. This is a real deal company. And um, so I'm excited that you came on today. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And um, so yeah, why don't you first start by just uh, tell us a little bit about you. Uh, I've worked for Katie Janney for quite a while since I since basically I graduated from Cal Poly in in '02, and uh, yeah, I'd, you know, there's people that pick career choices based on what they would do if they were retired, and that's basically what I do. Is I really love landscaping and plants, and I'm a huge plant nerd, and why not be a landscaper? That's interesting <laughs> to me. I'd like to develop that a little bit further because my yard is, um, I love it and everything, but it's a lot of work. I, I can't imagine. My idea of my yard would, it, rather than just enjoying it as retired, would be to be wealthy enough to pay somebody to just do it for me because it's kind of a nuisance. But um, at what age did you realize this is something that you're interested in? Okay. Um, I, I was uh, about... I think I was 11 years old when I told my parents that I, for my birthday, I didn't want toys. I wanted a gift certificate at a nursery so I could go buy plants. That's... So that makes me a pretty big plant nerd. Yeah. And uh... you're getting to do what you love, apparently. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it was, it was kind of, it was, it was basically baseball cards and, and, uh, plants for me. I mean, <laughs> I didn't, um, I didn't grow up around here where I grew up, it wasn't, um, very agricultural feeling. So I felt always a little bit removed from all that kind of stuff. And I, I imagine that you probably, um, if you grow up here or anywhere around here where there is more agricultural stuff, it's, mm -hmm. it's more interesting and appealing from a younger age, but it never occurred to me. Like I remember going, when I got in to Cal Poly, I remember, um, learning about these people that were like, horticulture majors and i remember going what is that and why would somebody pay to go to school for that um makes more sense to me today but it just wasn't even on my radar so that that is kind of surprising to me yeah it was um i mean for me i actually came to cal poly as a crop science major because i was going to go back home and and do farming um i grew up in the central valley and uh 
you know, we're surrounded by farms all around us everywhere you look, and almost everyone you know is is part of the farming community. And, uh, you know, everyone's in 4-H, and everyone raises animals, and that's that's what everyone does or did where I grew up. Uh, but I think my, my drive for wanting to be, like, landscaper was um, – I think my, my grandma, you know, had a, you know, acre garden in her backyard from like wow. until she was too old to take care of it anymore. And uh, I think that and just, you know, being outside was kind of why I decided to do it. And it, I, you know, I found something that I knew a lot of, I found an interest in and it was really convenient at a young age and pretty much know what I wanted to do. Yeah, that, that is neat. Um, so in the in the scope of what Katie Janney does, I wasn't kidding. By the way, you told me a story one time that you guys—it sounds like almost regularly—are doing things where you're like using helicopters to move stuff in landscaping. Yeah, um, sounds like it's pretty far-reaching, more than just you know maintaining somebody's yard or something. Yeah, we find. I mean, we're fortunate to have some some clients that um, will pretty much they want you to think out of the box on different ways that they could do certain things. And, uh, yeah, we have, we have had to call to get quotes on how to get a helicopter from, from, uh, from Riverside up to, you know, Cambria to move a tree from one side of one mountain to another. And, and, uh, you know, there, there are those people out there. Um, they're pretty rare, but, um, you know, there, and you know, for the Central Coast, we're a pretty big company. But you know, you look at the companies down south, some of the stuff they're doing, like the Getty and stuff like that. So, you know, there's always a goal to always do more and do something bigger and better. And right, and, uh, it's cool to get those opportunities. So, what's the average scope of what um, what you guys are doing? Uh, I mean, we do some fairly small stuff up to bigger stuff. We have um, we try to say that we could basically do um, any one size project. Uh, so our, our company is kind of divided into different management in terms of the construction and the maintenance. You know, really anything that's over two thousand dollars is done by the construction division, um, and anything less than that would be done by the maintenance division. So we have like a we have a small extras crew that could go plant five plants or twenty plants here and, and move from job to job to do small jobs, and then we have our bigger construction crews that can do jobs from you know two thousand to two million or you know whatever. So it doesn't feel like it today on account of the weather, but um, high on the topics around here lately have been the drought. And, um, you know, I was I was talking about on the show a couple weeks ago, we, we really wrestled water usage at my house. And I came to realize that um, a bit of my problem stemmed from um, the irrigation on my property. And it's kind of been a, a work in progress to get everything all dialed in. Um, I've had discussion with you before about different programs around the county and things like that. So how much of, of that kind of stuff is, is what you guys are doing, helping people figure out how to be more efficient? And I imagine it comes in terms of like what you choose to plant or people tearing out grass to put in something more drought tolerant all the way down to the actual maintenance of the irrigation systems themselves. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of things, a lot of new technology out there that's that you know helps you be more efficient with your irrigation. Um, you know, obviously, drought tolerant plants over a lawn is real easy, um, an easy one. You can there's different lawn substitutes that you know different types of lawn that can be watered like even once a week, even in the North County, um, that you could use as a lawn substitute. Um, you know, irrigation advances like weather regulated irrigation timers or soil moisture sensors. Things like that can automatically adjust your timer because if you think about it, you know, if you 
say you are, aren't home for the weekend, but it's raining that weekend, you can't get home to turn off your water, which, you know, an average home is going to put out, I don't know, 200 gallons over the weekend. So you figure it's a, a few units of, of water that is just wasted that you could have been turning off. Whereas if you had a soil moisture sensor or a weather regulated timer that, you know, costs a hundred bucks, it would automatically do that for you. So on my, um, little control panel where I program my irrigation, there's a thing in there that says like, um, it basically is percentages and you could, you should adjust this depending on the season. Um, is would that imply that there's something there keeping track of my moisture level? Or is that just for me to be taking a guess at that? Hey, it's January. I mean, go from a hundred percent down to 60% or something. Yeah. There's the, the percentage thing is how the moisture sensors or the weather management stations work. It means with your controller, it means you have the option to add that. Okay. And, um, and so, so really that's for you to dial up and down unless you have that weather, regulated um apparatus <laughs> and you say that you could add something like that in the the parts itself is only like a hundred bucks yeah the i think um yeah the 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 this hunter solar sink if you have a hunter controller is like a hundred and i want to say 150 175 dollars and it's just two wires you plug in and you screw a little deal to your your roof line and it automatically calibrates your irrigation and turns it on and off during periods of rain huh. <laughs> So it's it's pretty inexpensive thing to do when you think about how many times you know during the, especially during the winter when you're you when it's raining or not raining and turning your water on and off it it can save you that money easily within one year. Wow. Hmm. So you kept saying lawn substitute was that the term you used? Yeah, I mean you can there's you know everyone ha here has the the kind of standard tall fescue like really nice you know you can have a really nice green lawn depending on how much you water it or whatever yeah the lawn substitutes would be like a different variety of grass uh, like a carex or a sedge type grass or um you can use um we've used native bent grass on a couple places which some of them you mow some of them you don't but they look kind of like lawn and yeah. some of them some you know different ones look closer to lawn and further away from lawn but it you know lawn substitute it, but it's still grass. It's mm -hmm. just not the normal type of grass. Right. Now, how do you have grass that you don't have to cut? I'm kind of interested in that. <laughs> yeah, there's yeah the type of grasses that you don't have to cut. There's one only one variety that I know of that you can that looks like a lawn and you don't have to mow it. Really. But it doesn't grow here. So uh, it, it grows like in San Diego and more, you know, Palm Springs type areas. It's called diamond zoysia. It only grows like an inch, and you yeah. never ha you have to mow it once a year mm -hmm. um, to dethatch it, but um, most of the other no mow lawns are ones that are get taller, you know, six to 12 inches long. And they kind of, they look more like meadows than they do lawns. Than a lawn. Right. I gotcha. That's not very good for bocce ball. No, no. it wouldn't work out so well. <laughs> what about the synthetic grass? Are you putting a lot of that in? Yeah, we have, we have one crew that, um, really focuses on synthetic grass. We do quite a bit of it. We were one of the first companies to, uh, to put in, to put in, uh, synthetic grass and, uh, there are. Synthetic grass really does depend on the uh, um, kind of the the texture of it. Yeah. There's a lot of different grades. You can get a cheaper cheaper version, which you know kind of looks a little bit fake. And then there's other grades that go really thick and have different um, type of mixtures in it. Like even like have down to little pieces of uh, dead grass. So like yeah, a buddy of mine has looks, one yeah. with the little pieces of dead grass. It was kind of surprising. I had to get on my knee and. Just, 
there's a little brown spot right here, and it's you know right. a little dead grass huh. thing. That sounds kind of interesting to me. Yeah. Oftentimes when I see the the artificial lawn, though, it just looks so artificial. Yeah, like sterile and fake and out of place. Yeah, and like I said, it's it's really about the the grade that you get. Like you can get a really high grade, um, you know, synthetic lawn, and it looks really real. Um, but you're obviously going to pay more. No. If you did a three thousand square foot lawn with that, what what kind of price are you looking at for something like that? Um, I think the cheapest you can go is about eight dollars a square foot um, for you know, which is basically the cost of putting in concrete or pavers even. Yeah. Because um, you have to put in a, quite a bit of base material. It's the same base as you would be prepping for a driveway. It's not any different. Um, up to 20 plus if you're doing a putting green because putting greens can cost a little bit more. <laughs> so, so it's it's not necessarily a cheap endeavor. No, it's not. But I mean, and it, you can't really look at it from saving cost of water because um, if you save it, if you look at it from saving costs of water, uh, it's going to take you years to recoup that. Um, but if you look at it from, you know, being, you know, a positive, you know, influence on the environment and saving, you know, cost of water and and definitely maintenance, you know, you don't have to hire us to come out and mow your lawn. Right. You know, if you add all those things up, then, yeah, it makes it makes a lot of sense. Hmm. <laughs> so. That's interesting. I, well, because it, it feels like the other options oftentimes are like, well, cover your whole front yard in, like, the little rocks. Make it look like those desert houses. And I, I don't love that. I'm not going to do that at my house. But at the same time, I the, the grass thing does feel like it's – water intensive time intensive and um a, i mean honestly a little bit um wasteful right i mean we don't use the lawn very well it's not like we're out there you know on it every day having picnics or something you you kind of use it very little it's just for aesthetic right and i kind of try to tell that people when we're designing their house or when the people are thinking about putting in lawns it's uh you want to. You only want to put a lawn in if it's going to be usable. Like if you're going to use it, like your kids are going to play on it, you're going to play catch on it. You know, put in a lawn. Don't just put a lawn in because it's green. You know, there's plenty of other things out there that can make your yard look, look really good. good that are green. Yeah. So that require a lot less water too. Yeah, less water, less maintenance. Um, you know, especially if you're on a slope. I mean, there's there's a new. Um, it's not new, but over the last few years, it's kind of been implemented. It's a the uh, model water ordinance and it was uh, drawn up uh, by the state and uh, it's kind of an, a water ordinance that different uh, water districts should adhere to in terms of approving uh, building plans or landscape plans and uh, it's like no you know no turf or at least a sprinkler irrigated turf within eight feet of a hard surface um, you know a lot of different uh, things that are required building wise uh, to reduce water runoff um, you know you know, the other thing is uh, catching all your own water on site so that you're, so that the water it goes into your water table as opposed to going into the gutter and you know off to the ocean. Kind of try, everyone, you know, all, a lot of different things that try to promote water savings and at least on the newer newer construction type stuff. Well, what do they do to catch the water? Is it all slope of the land, or how how is it that they're, how is it that they're building this in a way where it's keeping all the water in your water table i guess yeah almost all new subdivisions especially large ones and not custom-built homes even and even sometimes custom-built homes have to adhere to it too but um if uh they have you know retention basins out front or large collection areas um almost every subdivision has its own um you know water water 
you know, retention area now that so that it stays in that water table. Hmm. That's interesting. Hey, it's um, 20 after 11 here, so we're going to go ahead and take commercial break, take time out to thank the sponsors. Uh, we get back, we'll have more of this discussion with Evan, so stick with us for more Mortgage Matters. To ask a question or make a comment, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. We'll be back after these messages from our sponsors. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending, Central Coast Lending. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is locally owned and operated with locations in Paso, Morro Bay, Seattle's Obispo, and Arroyo Grande. Central Coast Lending, the mortgage experts. What a state of generosity. Look what my agent got for me. Just by switching to State Farm. A few hundred unexpected bucks. I couldn't ask for more. But now I've got to figure out what I should use it for. A new bike would be radical, but maybe something practical, like a pet baboon with one robotic arm. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you could save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley & Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley & Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley & Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with hosts Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, here's Dan and Jason. Inflatable pool full of dad's hot air. Well, I was three years old, splashing everywhere, and so began my love affair with water. <laughs> On the riverbank with all my friends. All right, guys, welcome back to Mortgage Matters. Thanks for listening. I like the I like the timely songs, Jim. It's not a waste. <laughs> I know you. I know this is one of your favorites, actually. I think. <laughs> so we're we're joined by Evan Moffat, and um, we don't have enough time to really even, but scratch the surface here on what you know about. I know you've you're how many of these little license and certification? You got to be the most decorated, licensed, certified landscaper, arborist, everything guy around here, right? 
Yeah, I have quite a few certifications, and I was trying to think of them all right before I came on, and and then I got down to the real small ones that aren't te terribly important. But I ha I have uh, yeah, certified arborist, qualified applicator, um, certified irrigation or landscape irrigation auditor. Um, I think I'm missing another big one in there. I have certified landscape technician. Um, but yeah, there's there's a lot of different certifications out there, and it really just kind of you know, it's a certification to let you know that when I'm speaking to you, I kind of know a little bit, you know, in addition to, you know, studying horticulture at Cal Poly. Um, yeah, just know a lot about plants and water and trees and, and uh, yeah. So it sounds to me like, you know, from each of the little conversations that I have with you that there's there's a movement towards in city city or regional watersheds i don't know how they define the whole thing but there's this idea that trying to just be more careful about the way that people are using water um, and you've mentioned before that there's different programs even in our county where people could um, get rebates or assistance even some free irrigation supplies to be moving in that direction yeah there's a lot of different uh there's a lot of different things throughout wherever you live that uh you could do to get uh you know, rebates for your, for on your water bills and uh, in terms of your landscaping that that you put in. Uh, Tascadero Mutual is probably one of the was one of the kind of front runners on it, and they ha probably have one of the more better programs around. You know, with with being able to get rebates for different uh, water efficient type landscapes. Um, you know, Paso gives you Paso Robles gives you uh, money back for lawn removed. And I think that's the go-to for most districts is they give you kind of a rebate for the square footage of lawn that you remove. The, um, other, other different areas will give you rebates for, uh, using water, you know, the water regulated, uh, irrigation timer additions. Um, and also Toro nozzles. I know that, I don't know if it's through the, through each water district or, or even by vendors. Like if you could go to Home Depot and, and get Toro nozzles, but I know that you can get uh, Toro precision nozzles for free um, to replace, which are water efficient nozzles. And what I mean by water efficient, it doesn't necessarily mean that they use less water. Um, that's what people think they 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 do. It efficient is not a way of of saying less water. Uh, efficient means that in instead of your spray nozzles, they use a stream rotor type of nozzle, which doesn't have mist and puts the wa puts the water out more slowly so that it should be going into your soil as opposed to running off or so the mist blowing away in the wind right and the mist blowing away in the wind so so they're more efficient which means that you could use less water um and they you do use less water if you really watch it um but that's like a common misconception is that everyone thinks when they switch to these nozzles that they're going to save water which if your system is already efficient with those other nozzles you're probably not going to save water so interesting so, um, what's a good, what's a good way for somebody to start with this? I mean, is there somebody on staff that comes out and does like an evaluation of where you stand in, in terms of what's on your property and whether or not there are leaks and all that kind of thing? Yeah. I mean, obviously leaks are the first thing you want to do and you just want to make sure you're not leaking anywhere. Um, there is, there have, I don't, I'm not specifically certain on, on, on every water district, but a lot of the water districts do have someone that comes out to monitor to see if you had done what you're asking for for the rebate. Um, and it all 
it all varies from from district to district and some districts you know publicize what they you know do in terms of water rebates like i know paso robles and and atascadero really really publicize what they do for water rebates um other other cities have stuff that ha you know maybe on their website but doesn't come to you in your water bill like regularly um and some of the other ones they don't advertise it at all unless you ask for it. So if you ask for it, it's likely they'll give you something. Um, uh, for example, like Golden State Water, who's one of the bigger water supplier companies in the area, they do have someone that that you can contact to um, to get water rebates. So you know if you're in the Country Club or Los Osos or or uh, you know Orchid, you know those all all those areas are are Golden State Water areas. They do have someone that that will at least respond to your inquiry. Huh. Um, so it is possible. So I would just recommend everyone check with their water supplier to see if there are rebates available. Sounds sounds scary to invite somebody on your property, though, to like see what you're doing in case you've got something that they are going to demand major remedy and you might not be in a, a position to be able to do it. it. Can you get yourself in trouble by inviting somebody out to... No, I, I, you. I would doubt that you can get yourself in trouble. Um, I mean, it's really, it's your water bill. It's your, it's your, the amount of water you're using. Um, or you, yeah, so it's, uh, I don't think you can get in trouble by doing it. I think that they could, they'd probably, if you did something like majorly wrong, like put a sprinkler head right on the edge of the driveway that, you know, runs off into the street, they'd probably recommend something different. Make I doubt you... I doubt that they would fine you or add more money to your water bill. <laughs> yeah. So let's switch gears a little bit because, you know, I imagine that the homeowners that are listening to our show today, you know, our, our idea is to provide some value to them and help them understand um, what, what they need to be paying attention to. Um, most all of the properties around here got trees on them. And the trees um, can be a real neglected element of your property just yesterday um i i talked to several friends of mine that had issues with limbs breaking um and so i thought maybe you could talk a little bit about what goes into keeping trees healthy and safe yeah the the key for trees is and and the reason we saw a lot of trees fall in this storm is that trees can handle water they can handle rain they can handle wind it's when they're both together that they can't really handle because basically when it's raining and windy, you're making every single branch on the tree twice as heavy because it has all that water weight. And so you add it twice as heavy and then you add the wind in, then it's most likely to break, which is why during storms, only only when you have both of those, you know, wind and rain is when you see trees fall. Mm. And, uh, or at least more often, it happens the other way too. Um, it's really about... Um, maintaining your trees um, and noticing the signs of what could be a problem. You know, just for an example, just down the block here on my way here, one of those cypress trees for the, uh, the city had fallen over. So, oh, really? <laughs> so I, I, at least I had it looked like it had fallen over because they had a cleanup crew there uh, cleaning up a bunch of stuff. But yeah, a lot of trees fell over in this storm. Um, the uh, the keys to look for um, one is for root rot if you have like little mushrooms or little fungus growing around the base of your tree that means probably means your tree has root rot and is likely to probably fall over unless you get it treated or take it out huh um and then also there's a part of the tree called the crotch which is you know basically where it joins from the center of the tree to a, a larger branch and there's 
what they call a crotch angle. So if you have a really short angle of the tree, um, it's most likely to correct, collect debris and, uh, and you know, rot or decay or become a weak point. Whereas if you have closer to a 90-degree angle on that junction, it's a lot stronger for the tree and less likely to break. So when you have trees, you and people always go and I'm, you know, when they're especially when you're a, a typical homeowner, you go and you thin out your the center of your tree. Well, what you do when you thin out the center of your tree is you put all the weight on the end of the tree, as opposed to spacing the weight out throughout the tree, and uh, that makes you know a uh, great opportunity for your tree to break. So try to balance out your pruning. Pruning. Um, I I was out visiting some friends in in Texas last week, and their neighbor, um, their their neighbor, their cedar trees basically all over their neighborhood, and their neighbor decided to do some pruning, and ended up basically destroying um, like four trees that are now like being stumped out because they're it was just terrible for this guy to to make a go at it. Um, is Pruning trees, something that you would typically recommend a, a do it yourself or a tackle? I think if you if you like look online and try to find stuff on exactly how to prune a tree, I mean you could do it yourself. I I you know, I would hope that I mean it's against me trying to get more business, obviously, but you know, every homeowner should should re do the research so that at least if they do you know, they could do it themselves or at least when they hire someone they'd at least know a little bit about if they're doing the right job, because I'm not saying that all people out there that you hire, even if they're licensed, technically know what they're supposed to do. Right. Mm. What do you make of these guys that come out and um, prune the trees around power lines and they just make a big V Hole. shape? <laughs> and then the tree looks terrible afterwards, for one thing. And is there any, do you know if there's any way that you can kind of complain about that? There's not. And, and the interesting part about that is I'm friends with a lot of the guys that work for those companies. Mm -hmm. And um, so like Davey Tree Company, the world's largest tree company, mm -hmm. they actually employ more certified arborists than anyone in the entire world. Mm -hmm. And actually, most people that work for them are certified arborists and technically know the right way to prune a tree. However, there's a big question between what's the right way to prune the tree and what is actually the utility company's right of way. Mm -hmm. So they're technically only licensed or, con you know, their contract holds them to only prune what is in their right of way. So that's why you get these big, ugly trees is technically yeah. they can't prune anything outside of that right of way. So they have like a 10 yeah. foot radius around the that particular wire where they can just hack back limbs, but they can't go and do the whole thing right. Right. Even though it's against what they've been trained to, um, you know, as an arborist they that's what their contract states is to do this to this tree and uh i mean who wouldn't want a multi-million dollar contract where you just have to drive around the state and prune a free trees that's true it sounds like kind of the same thing where say you have a neighbor has a tree but it's grown over on your property and you can cut it at the fence but you can't do anything about the way their tree looks on their property it's exactly the case yeah uh you should just bang on your neighbor's door and ask them to clean up the tree because it's bothering you there you go. Mm. <laughs> Let me know how that works yeah, out right. for you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or just or just stir the pot and cut the tree at the fence and 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 see how angry your neighbor gets at you then. Mm. So I imagine you guys do quite a bit though of tree pruning and stuff. Um, go out to somebody's property and trim trim more one or more of the trees on their property and make sure that they're 
in good shape. Seems like yeah. if you have a a big tree, like I have a pretty big oak tree in my front yard that I assume is reasonably health healthy and stuff, but I, I'm not positive about it. Um, seems like it might be a good idea to have you guys come out and have a look and see if there's you know different different things that could or should be done. Yeah, that you know, we can definitely come out and just tell you, even if you're not intending on us having to do the work. I mean, I can come out and just tell you what the health of your tree is and 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 whatnot. Um, and another another thing to think about in terms of the homeowners pruning their trees, also too that I, that I forgot to mention was safety. Um, you know, in the country, you know, there was a, there was a guy um, a couple years ago um, who's a neighbor of one of our clients who he he died because he was he fell out of his tree. Oh, so it's um. You know, you got to be careful. You know, there there are right ways to climb trees and wrong ways to climb trees. Sure. And um, so you, you got to, you know, are you going to hire a, you know a tree guy to come out and prune that really big, tall problem branch for five hundred bucks or whatever it is um, compared to your life? I mean, there's not really. You got to you got to be safe. Right. <laughs> yeah that that's not a good trade off. It doesn't matter what you save if you fall and break your neck. You're in not yeah. you're not coming out ahead of that game no, yeah that's not gonna work and out. there's a reason that the the tree industry is the largest uh um or the most one of the most dangerous what you know why they have that that tv show uh oh what's it called the one with all the tree guys in boston i watched it a lot because they did a lot of sketchy stuff but uh and uh, uh the society of arborists actually wrote a letter to try to get it taken off the air because it made tree guys look really bad but you know being a tree service is really dangerous so we uh, we tend to only, you know, we won't do stuff if it's not safe. Right. Um, we don't want, we don't want anyone to get hurt. We haven't had anyone get hurt, um, doing tree work, um, fortunately, but, um, you know, ac accidents happen. We, you know, tree guys get injured at a more, more of a casualty rate than any other industry. Wow. Um, other than roofing, you know, tree guys and roofers, those are the two. Work workman's comp is highest there. Oh, it's, it's through the roof. Like you couldn't even imagine. <laughs> Have you guys seen that new Treehouse show? Yeah, yeah that, that that house, those... that's that's one of my favorite shows. Treehouse yeah. Masters. That's a great show. That is a I you know while watching it, I can't help but just go, man, it's sick how much money these people have that are building these <laughs> hundred fifty thousand yeah, on a treehouse for their you know that yeah. that's funny. <laughs> hey, it's it's twenty till noon, which means we we only have twenty minutes left to go. We need to take the final commercial break of the show, Evan. When we get back from the break, I'd like you to talk to us a little bit about uh, the fact that it is March. What am I supposed to be doing at my house? I mean, I imagine there's quite a bit. Uh, to get ready here for the spring and i feel like i'm always um trying to figure it out and people say well you should have done that two months ago so maybe you could give us some of those useful tips when we get back stick around for more mortgage matters don't go anywhere keep it locked to mortgage matters on kvec news talk 920 to ask a question call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832 we'll be back in just a few minutes we're the mortgage experts on the central coast Central Coast Lending, Central Coast Lending. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is locally owned and operated with locations in Paso, Morro Bay, San Luis Obispo, and Arroyo Grande. Central Coast Lending, the mortgage experts. 
through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change. Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. The state of denial is a drag and a trial. When I bought my cheap insurance, should have known this day would come. Now I've had an accident and I'm feeling quite alone. Called them at least 20 times, but they won't pick up the phone. Without personal service, my policy's kind of worthless. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 10 a.m. to noon. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show. Yeah. All right. You know, um, I feel like my coffee's never fully kicked in. It's not yet gone, but I just had a yawn, so I apologize. Um, so I feel like half the questions I'm asking you are just things I want to know for myself, but um, maybe I'm like the normal person then. I was at Costco this last week, and they're selling two different um, bags of like fertilizer or something or other. Uh, like grass food basically and one of them seemed like it was like scott's turf builder type of stuff 40 bucks for a bag of this stuff um i almost bought it because i know that it says that it feeds your lawn for up to two months i have never fed my lawn um i really haven't even watered it in two months so i thought well, i mean that's a good idea and then another one that had like a compound in it to kill like dandelions and weeds or something. And I got to admit, I, I pulled the bag over and thought, well, what the heck is this? I'm going to dump all over my yard. And then it, say, it listed like nine kinds of grass that I shouldn't put it on. And I'm like, I don't know what kind of grass I have. So I pushed it back on the shelf and walked away. Um, what <laughs> is that stuff necessary? Yeah. I mean, you definitely want to fertilize. I mean, fertilizer is easily necessary. Uh, necessary. I mean, the thicker your lawn is, the less water you're going to use, actually. So the healthier your lawn is. The, le the, the you more know, efficient, the more efficient it'll be. Okay. Um. So that's that's one thing. The uh, the different types of uh, uh, chemicals they have that'll kill dandelions and stuff. Like I it used to be turf, you know, turf supreme with Trimec used to be the used to be the the main one, but I, now Trimec is now um, I think illegal. So, um, you know, they change what chemicals are legal or not legal every so often. So there are. You know, like weed and feed is the general kind of one that the homeowner buys. 
Um, it works really good. The tricky part with that is you need it to be a certain um, amount of, uh, it needs to be hot. So if you, you would apply your, you know, you would apply your weed and feed sometime when it's pretty warm outside, but you'd also water your lawn in. So in some cases it's effective in some other, other cases it's not as effective as doing it separately, like fertilizing your lawn, then waiting till it's dry to spray, um, you know, with some kind of, of weed and feed ty- or, or weeder type of thing. The uh, percentage of different varieties of grasses in the grass seed patch, like tur- you know, turf builder type stuff, you need to pay attention to that because almost everyone on the Central Coast has a variety of tall fescue, bonsai, you know, fescue, ba- you know, banzini, or you know, there's a whole bunch of different varieties of tall fescue. You want it to be pretty high percentage of tall fescue or any or type of fescue, um, like 95 or better. Um, so the price goes down way lower the you know the closer that percentage is to 80. You know it can be really cheap. You know to get something that has less fescue in it. So, so. buying that might and then spreading that on your yard might end up being a little counterproductive. You end up with different grass or patchy areas of something that doesn't match. Yeah, and they could you know they could throw in some stuff in there like fine fescue or you know uh, festuca rubra that would be you know, a type of grass that needs a lot of water. Huh. So um, you want it to be as close to what you have as possible. So how do I know what I have? You put, you have tall fescue. <laughs> like okay. I'm not, I'm not, like there is not. Uh, so there, when you're looking yeah, for a product never. then that's <laughs> like a weed and feed like that, then you want something to look for a really high percentage of what that is and, and don't try to scamper cup corners on the, the cost of that stuff. Right, because the you know the manufacturers of the seed, you know, you also have to think about what their their growing grounds looks like. So if you have a place that's collecting fescue seed and they have really deep, lush, you know, fescue lawns that they're collecting the seed from, you have a really good percentage. But no one sees the fields where they collected from, and they're mixed with a whole bunch of other different weeds. It's not like they go out there and spray their weeds in their lawn while they're collecting the seed. So it's a huh. uh, interesting. Okay. Now you see, for this guy, he knows all these words and stuff. I don't even feel like I could repeat those the names of the grass now. But um, it feels overwhelming, honestly. You know, it's easy to go push the mower around. I can recognize when it's too tall, <laughs> but <laughs> there's it feels like there's a lot going on in the landscaping, and you know, I can I can easily see how you can kind of turn something like that over to just having somebody do it for you. Um, is, is that the kind of, tell me about the scope of like, if people had needs today, what are the kind of clients that you're looking for? What the services that you guys are, are doing that takes the burden of all of this worry off of the homeowner? Yeah. I mean, that's what your lawn should look type... like, Jason. It does not. <laughs> it does not. Where, where the is website. the site? My lawn looks nothing like any of them. <laughs> yeah. And where is um, your dog peeing on that lawn? Because where my dog's peeing is got these, it looks like not even crop circles. It's like patches of death in my yard. And I don't know what to do about that either. Do you have a female dog? Yeah. Yeah. The female dogs are the ones that kill kill the lawn. Oh, perfect. Um, the you know, more so than the male dogs, and it's it's basically the acidity in their in their urine that so what that are, causes that. Yeah, what am I supposed to do about that, by the way? Just get um, out there with a hose and yeah, rinse it off immediately. They, yeah, every time they pee, yeah. 
Oh, that's, <laughs> I can't that's keep up. Not I'm not even around. I got one of those weird job things. Or you put in a synthetic lawn and then you don't have to worry about it. <laughs> See, but wouldn't that get all stinky if your dog's peed on your synthetic lawn all the time? You know, they have all these newer things. Um, and I show these show this in my, uh, you know, when people come in the office, I have a bottle of, uh, of grass smell. <laughs> so it's, it's a little you know, oh, this yeah. uh, type of air. It's not aerosol. It's like a little, you know, hair hair hairspray type deal that you squirt, and it's it makes your lawn smell like real grass. <laughs> My goodness. You know, you can come up with anything. I mean, yeah, that that. I mean, I hear it mixing tomatoes in their food because um, it's a base. You know, will will um, eliminate the acidity of their urine. But, um, and there's things you can buy too, but it's just like, how many, do you want to mix tomatoes in their food every day? You know, what's easier that or hosing it off or just looking at that yellow <laughs> spot in the yard, which is our right. approach. Right. Yeah. So, okay. I got sidetracked again, but yeah, tell me, um, tell me about what you guys are doing and, and, uh, who might call you today to get some services from you. Um, really, I mean, we have, we do quite a bit of work. We do a lot of different, if it's basic, basically if it's outside, we do it. So. You know, we do landscape maintenance, construction, installation, um, design, and uh, and uh, tree service as well. So, the um, you know people can call us if they just even if they just want a consultation on you know a health of their trees or the health of their landscape or or if they have uh, broken sprinklers or if they want to upgrade their sprinklers to to more efficient irrigation. Um, you know, up to the people that you know are relandscaping their 200 acres or whatever you know anyone anyone who has a, a landscape need um you know we can try to tackle it um it's you know on the central coast a lot you know most people take pride in their in their landscaping and keeping it look nice keeping it looking nice and and anyone who really would like that would be like you know the clients that we're looking for me me on a plant nerd level though um, I don't care if my friends text me all day with just questions on what plant is this, what bug is this. I mean, it, that's kind of what what I get excited about. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> all right. But no one come to my house. <laughs> no, is it the, the cobblers um, kids have no shoes kind of thing? Ah, uh, pretty much. I mean, I've started doing some stuff. It's uh, it's uh, when you do it all day, it's it uh, it gets a little bit um daunting and then you have kids and you throw that and all the stuff you're doing in there and and uh you know li- life uh, life uh, takes a priority over over making your yard look good so it, that's why actually i hire my guys to clean my yard <laughs> nice okay we had uh last year we we decided to put in a bunch of vegetables you know we got several raised beds and all this kind of thing and we spent all this time and money on, uh, and by the way, I don't think it was going to be any cheaper for us to grow any of this stuff than just buy it from the store. We were doing it because it was good to do with the kids and and fun, but also to be able to eat food that you grew in your own garden. There's there's an element to that. But anyway, um, we made an amazing spread, and some incredibly rude gopher waited waited like took inventory understood what was growing and then waited um until the most opportune time to come and just take down nearly overnight most everything we had grown um so that was pretty frustrating uh and i'm trying to figure out this year how to remedy that we're gonna like you know put some more wire on the bottom of the raised beds or something but um yeah it's fun but man a lot of work 
Yeah, you got to put wire on raised beds. I mean, that's the best way to do it around here, especially if you have and you know, you can have an issue with gophers. Um, there is really easy. There are really easy ways to trap and kill gophers. And if anyone wants to know, just let me know. The uh, but yeah, putting wire under your raised beds is 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 very important. Um, and the thing with deciding to do your garden or not deciding to do a garden this year, I, I'm going to do an amazing garden this year because with the water, the drought that we're going through, the farmers are likely not getting any water in the Central Valley. So that means the cost of the vegetables is all going to go up because of the drought. And, you know, might as well grow my own vegetables and, and keep my costs down because it will be cheaper for you to do it than to buy it, you know, from the from the store. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see how much more water we get and how little water the Central Valley is going to get. Yeah. Mm. You know, my garden was taken. The zucchinis just took over. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, you only uh, need one zucchini yeah, or the, two. <laughs> the, oh, man. It, everything else was, was smothered by the zucchinis. I also have gophers. So I, I would like you to tell me this easy way to trap the gopher thing. Yeah, I can. I'll, I'll draw you a little sketch. It, it, it's pretty It's pretty easy to use the traps. Um, you know, one of my first jobs that I ever had, I've worked at Dairy Creek uh, Golf Course. My only job was to kill gophers. So that's like, I learned how to kill gophers. Caddyshack. Yeah. And yeah, (laughs) and actually when I was in a fraternity at Cal Poly, my nickname was, was, uh, uh, greenskeeper Carl. So (laughs) (laughs) everyone gets a nickname and I happened. That's right. When I was killing gophers. So, (laughs) wow, that's pretty funny. But yeah, I definitely got, I would encourage everyone to do gardens. What's the, uh, and when is the right time of year to put garden stuff in? Is it now? Yeah, March 1st looks like a good day to get started. Yeah? Yeah, um, there are certain things, you know, everything is a little bit different. All, all plants are a little bit different. Tech, you know, people always think March. March is the time of month, that, or the month that I need to get going. And really, April is better. Really? Um, March is when you want to do all of your prep and get everything going and maybe start a few early season vegetables. Um you know, in, you know, into March, then late March, early F- April is when you really hit it hard. Don't plant any tomatoes till April, at least April. Because um, if you put them in and it tends to get a little bit cold, which it can in March, it stuns them for the whole year. So wait until April to plant tomatoes, you know, or stuff that needs a lot of heat, like uh, cantaloupes or watermelons or pumpkins, you know, wait, sure. wait till it is definitely going to be hot the whole time. Okay. I, I want to grow some peppers. When do you plant peppers? Jalapeno. Do you live in the North County? Yes, I then do. you can do it. Anytime. <laughs> um, yeah, the same thing. They're a hot, hot climate type of uh, of of, of uh, vegetable. Yeah. So wait till April, mid-April to plant them, nice. and uh, definitely give them as much sun as humanly possible, and and they'll do great. Right in the sun. Yeah, right in the sun. I mean, the peppers need the you know they need hot to be hot. Right. Got it. <laughs> Got it. And uh, so they do really good. You know, my sister grows huge jalapenos in in Bakersfield, and uh, I can't grow them longer than three inches in San Luis or two inches in San Luis. So it's just not warm enough. It's just not warm enough. Um, you'll get you'll get plenty of stuff for your own house, but you're not going to be bragging to your buddies about the size of them. Got it. <laughs> so. huh. Hey, Evan, do you guys have a, a website? Anything you might steer people to to get an idea of? Uh... Yeah, we we have a website. It's a uh, kdjanny.com, uh, kdjanni.com, um, and we're it's still a work in progress. So it looks pretty good so far. We're this year we're definitely gonna take pictures because all the pictures on our website are more than 
oh, six years old. <laughs> oh. But, uh, you know, there's some good projects on there. And, and uh, you can find my contact information on that website as well, even if you just have a, a quick question about your yard. You've done some blogging on our website, too. Yeah, a couple, a couple of them. Maybe you need to do some more. Yeah, that I I would love to do more blogging. It's uh, the blogging takes a lot of time, but uh, I definitely need to 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 get more into it. As as interested as you are and a wealth of knowledge, it, it you're doing us a service by getting in there and, and typing up some words. So I, think I need to do should. it for my own website as yeah. well, <laughs> you know, as well as for you guys too. So. And then um, I know there's probably contact information on the on the website there, but if if somebody's interested in calling today because they've got some needs that uh, we've talked about today on the show, what number might they call to get some help? Yeah, our phone number is five four one four nine four four, and you know someone, you no, know, no one will be here, be there today or tomorrow, but definitely there next week. You guys aren't doing like all kinds of emergency calls right now, like the tree fell behind the car and they can't get out. We've had a couple. The thing with emergency calls is that, you know, there's there's a different level of emergency. I mean, if a tree falls and hits your car, you know, at your house, are you going to call us or are you just going to chop it up yourself? Um, I'd probably I would recommend chopping it up yourself cuz we're going to charge, you know, $175 an hour to come out and move your tree. I'd chop it up myself, but I'm I'm more resourceful like that. I mean, I already own a chainsaw, and and there's people around that don't. I know. Yeah. And it's by actually the way, cheaper to buy a chainsaw than to hire us for an chainsaws hour. Chainsaws <laughs> are very dangerous. Yes. Yes. I yes. have um, <laughs> friends that have no business handling a chainsaw. Believe me. <laughs> hey, we're running out of time here on the show. I just want to remind you guys: if you have any loan needs at all, go find us on the website. We're centralcoastlending.com. We got offices around the county to help you. One phone number reaches them all. It's five four three loan, which is five four three five six two six. Will, thanks much for sitting in today to give Dan a much deserved day off. Evan, thanks for coming in and joining us too. It's been fun. Yeah. Thanks everybody for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of Mortgage Matters. Have a fantastic, safe week. <laughs>